0: So as we um, approach this evening, we're approaching now the end of this study of Paul, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, as I said. And as we've noted constantly throughout this series, uh, the theme that Paul has really striven to get uh, this church to see and to relish in and to rejoice in is just the fact that Christ alone is their joy. Uh, that's not a wholly original theme from, the, from someone trying to comment on the book of Philippians for sure. But it is the one that I think sticks out the most. That Paul is instructing this church in ways that they can have joy in their Christian life. Even as Paul himself is in an unjoyful situation as we've noted. He's writing this from chains and he's talking about the joy that they can have regardless of what ends they might face. Which I think adds to what this letter is and why it's so significant. Is that he has this very much letter of joy written from a very unjoyful place. And I think what stands out to me in this particular letter is just that as Paul is going through and explaining and showing the different ways that Christ is the church's and the Christian's joy, he is almost showing how nothing, nothing holds a candle to the joy that is found in Christ. That's what he would say. Nothing even comes close. Nothing even can approach the joy that is found in the Lord Jesus. And I think it's fitting, very fitting, that as he closes this letter, which has this theme, he brings that theme home again in another very practical way. So in verses 10 through 21, essentially Paul gives this testimony of gratitude for the support that the Philippian church gave him. He thanks them for their just ongoing care of his ministry, of his work, for the sake of the gospel. And how for years they have been a faithful, giving church to his cause. They've done well, he says, partnering with him in his affliction and in his adversity. Notice how he says that in verse number 14. Notwithstanding ye have done well, that ye did communicate with my affliction, Notice verse 16, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. They are sharing in his cause by also supporting him in both of those types of seasons, in his need, in his affliction. And yes, even when no other church stood with him, even when no other church communicated, as he uses the word, shared in his afflictions for which he suffered for the sake of the gospel, the church at Philippi did. Notice verse 15, now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. They were the only ones who stood out, we might say. And even now, as he says in verse 18, they have communicated with him, shared once again to meet his needs as he sits in Roman chains. Notice verse 18, but I have all in abound, I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable while pleasing to God. You note that he mentioned Epaphroditus in this sort of gift that he gave Paul in his need, in his time of need as he sat in a Roman cell. And here he thanks them again. He is full because of that which they have sacrificed for his sake. And he's thanking them. For their deep affection for him. Of course we know that Paul loves this church. He calls them beloved several times over and over again throughout this letter. But also I think he's noting the ways in which the gospel has had a profound effect on this church. Again I love how he says in verse 18 that this gift that they give him is a odor of a sweet smell. A sacrifice. It's as if they were worshiping God. By giving this gift to Paul. It wasn't for Paul's benefit perhaps ultimately. Yes, pragmatically it was. They were giving Paul something to meet his necessity. But in a way Paul is saying you were worshipping God by giving it. And I love how also he explains the uniqueness of their giving to him. Again, as he had suggested in verse 15, this interesting word pops up. As he says in verse 15, that no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, they were the only ones, as we noted. That word communicated is one that I think is very fascinating and worth paying attention to as, he's, as he uses it here in this particular verse. Because it is the, the word which we would commonly associate with New Testament churches The Greek word koinonio, or perhaps it's pronounced differently, I don't know. But it's translated basically fellowship. So basically we could translate his words here that no fellowship fellowshiped with me in my affliction. Except for you you were the fellowship of believers the fellowship of faithful followers of Christ who fellowshiped with me shared with me in my time of need by supporting me in it by by partnering with me in it by coming alongside of me as i was enduring it which again is not meant by paul to be some sort of badge of honor that the philippians could wear this isn't meant to be some sort of medal that they could brandish to all their church friends look what we did <laughs> Like what Paul told us, we're the awesome church that stood by him in his time of need. Actually, he was meaning it to be a grand testimony of God's faithfulness in meeting the needs of his children. Yes, God uses us, his faithful church, to meet the needs of others. That's his purpose for us. And yes, I love how Paul testifies to this. Look at verse 19. He's talking about this. Odor for a sweet smell, well-pleasing to God. And notice he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's the one who was really meeting these needs that Paul was here having. He was, yes, God was using the Philippian church, but it was God working. It was God moving. It was God fulfilling his word that you can always count on him to meet your needs. Which again shows us this beloved image that we have of this father, of this Christ Jesus. Who is never unconcerned by our plight. He's never uncaring when his children are suffering. God is not an indifferent spectator to our needs. Who turns a blind eye to when his children are going through adversity and affliction. This is something Paul knew firsthand. We don't have to examine all of Paul's life. You're perhaps familiar with all the things that he endured. He had experienced life on the fringes. He was almost seemingly always living on the brink of starvation or death, brought to the edges of execution many times shipwrecked as he says and he alludes to this back in verses 12 and 13 as he says i know both how to be abased brought low i know how to be decimated i know how to be groveling you could say he says and i also know how to abound i know what it means to have success to have prosperity to live in abundance And he says everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Basically we can summarize Paul's words. I've been through it all. He's sort of like an older scholar speaking to the younger people saying I've seen it all. I've been through it all. I've done it all. I've experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I've been through thick and thin and then some. And what does he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. This is uh, there are several verses as we've noted. And we noted a couple of weeks ago when we were going through this that there are several verses in chapter four that are very much verses that are we could say quotable that are pithy. They're thrown out there a lot. This is another one, and it's not just that we can do all things. We can do uh, we can suffer through all things. With the Christ who strengthens us. Not that we can run through brick walls because we have Christ in us. Like sports people want to use this verse for. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to you know, denigrate the use of this verse for sports context. But it doesn't really have that connotation. Paul's not thinking about winning the big game. <laughs> He's thinking about suffering for the sake of the gospel. And Now Christ is the one who has been with him through thick and thin. That's the Christ that strengthens him. Through all of those seasons, he's relaying to these Philippians here. He's found Christ to be his joy. What a testimony to the gospel. To the grace of Christ that filled Paul. Because I think that's what is exactly here he's testifying to. That he is geared up. He's able to face up to whatever unknown thing faces him. Whatever uncertain future he has. Precisely because his God was no fair weather friend. That's what I, I, I see throughout the scriptures. God is no fair weather friend. In fact, this is what something Spurgeon says in one of his books. He says, the Lord Jesus is no fair weather friend, but one who loveth at all times, a brother born for adversity. And indeed, if you read all of the scriptures, that's what you'll find. He's not just... A good shepherd. He's a tender loving shepherd who never leads, leaves the side of his sheep. And Paul is here again, uh, ascribing so much worth to that God. He isn't fickle. He doesn't run and flee from us at the first sign of trouble. He is a Christ who is so concerned with his children and their needs and their afflictions that he fills them with himself. And he here testifies to this. Abundant supply of Christ. And we can say again, as he says here, I know how to do these things. I've been through it all. I found Christ to be my joy. He's not just, again, he's not just speaking rhetoric. He's not just using lip service to praise God. He is speaking from a seat of reality, from a a seat of one who's been there. (laughs) He's been there and back again. And he was living, breathing proof that this God watches over his beloved and we could say here that this supply, that he is found to be his joy, it is Christ himself. He's the supply that makes his children full. Notice that verse, verse 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's who makes us full. That's the supply that he gives us. And that word supply there is, pretty amazing it means just that make fulfilled to the brim that old adage that your cup runneth over that's what christ is for us he's the abundant supply of water that's just flowing over our cups that's what the god the father has done by giving us his son he's the one who makes us content Again, as he says, notice verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit, they may abound to your account. I have all and abound. I am full. He was not relaying this story. He was not relaying this testimony as sort of a backdoor way to, or he wasn't trying to build up the egos of the Philippians, but nor was he doing it as sort of a backdoor way to ask for something more. He wasn't doing this as a way to sort of hint at the fact that he might have some other needs that they could meet too. He wasn't trying to point out the ways in which he could be even more benefited by the Philippians' sacrifice. Actually, he just says, I don't want anything else. I'm full. I'm perfectly content with everything that God has given me. He's relaying this for their benefit. As he says, I desire that you see and you have this fruit abounding to your account. As he says back in verse 15, that I think that they might see the blessing of giving and receiving, as he says. Or as he writes in... um, or as he says in Acts chapter 20, that they, that they he I think he's using this testimony as a way to write and show how they may see that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20 verse 35. And in that way, I think Paul here is sort of like, he's like a father or a parent on Christmas Day. Now, it's been weird, you know, the last couple of years uh, being a dad on Christmas because uh, it's it's just weird how your, your, your passions change only because I don't really care if I get something. I, would rather, I just love to see my kids open up something. Natalie has said this to me too. It's, it's so interesting how your, your viewpoints change. And it brings me more joy when I see one of my little kids just rip open something and just have so much excitement on their face. And you can see Paul is sort of standing back and showing them He's he's exampling that for this church. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that this blessing is to your account. This is the the fruit he desires to bring to bear to this church. Again, he even says this even earlier. (laughs) So they wouldn't mistake it. Notice verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He's not speaking from a state of need. He's sharing this abundant, joyful testimony. You've met my need. Thank you. Showing them how they can be blessed in the act of giving. And he's also testifying to the fact that this joy that he has in Christ is enough. That's what that word there means in verse number 11. Therewith to be enough. Enough. <laughs> That's the true sense of that word. Christ is his joy and therefore he has enough. I am full. That was his supply, his joy. Both of which, as we've said, are infinite and unchanging. Which meant that Paul's source of joy was the infinite Christ. Who supplies him with joy in Paul's affliction and his necessity. A supply which was equally as infinite. So you could say you have this image of of someone sort of drawing on the well, drawing on the resources of Christ, and that's a never-ending supply. It's the joy of the contentment that we have in Christ. And I was thinking about all of this as Paul is here writing about, this enoughness, this joy that he has here. I think it's incredibly fitting that we would study this particular passage on a day like today. Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> the business of the Super Bowl has always been prolific, we could say, to say the least. Lots of things go on at the Super Bowl. But especially recently, in the last several years, I would say, at least as long as I can remember, maybe even it was before that, I don't know if it was as much of a thing, but especially in the quote-unquote social media generation, Super Bowl commercials have become an event in and of themselves With some people I know even tuning in not to watch the athletes play but just to watch the commercials, which is kind of funny because normally you want to skip the commercials except for at the Super Bowl, I guess. But the Super Bowl exists in its present form precisely because every second something is being sold. Something is being sold to you by some sort of corporation, by some sort of entity. And they're doing everything they can to get their name in front of your face. And again, we could just just stop and pause. Because what's the fundamental goal of advertising? (laughs) To make you discontent. To make you realize that you don't have enough. That's the premise, right? That's the the whole goal is to make you realize that what you have isn't cutting it and you need this something else. (laughs) Do you know how much 30 seconds of advertising time costs for this year's Super Bowl? It went up by 20% over the last time that NBC last hosted the Super Bowl, which is in 2018. Every 30 seconds, companies are forking over $6.5 million to sell you something. Every 30 seconds. Which I think is a good, but also devastating portrait of America. We're a commercialized society through and through, and we think in terms of what we want, with those wants being manipulated into needs precisely by corporations that tell us that you can have it your way. (laughs) That's not just Burger King. That's a definition of our hearts. (laughs) I think that's the human soul. The human psyche says we can have it our way, and we don't have to let anyone stop us. We are told through clever advertising that what we currently have is not enough it's not cutting it but this product this gadget that's the answer that's what the world sells us that's what the world promotes but what would paul's response be to such thinking what do you think paul would say with such rhetoric being shouted that we can have it your way if you just get this other thing I think he would tell us Philippians 4 verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That I think is his word for us here and forever. That when the world is selling us this this sermon, this, this rhetoric of discontentedness, we have all we need to be content in Christ. We can state along with Paul that we can learn in whatever state we're in therewith, we can be content. Precisely why we have Christ. Nothing and no one can meet the needs that we have like this God does in his beloved son. And I love how Paul reminds this church of that. And he reminds us of that. Our needs, they're met in physical ways by physical people, physical congregations, giving of their means, giving of themselves, sacrificing in ways that blow our minds oftentimes. But as Paul said here, it's God working through them to evidence the fact he is their supply. I'm always enamored by this testimony. The idea that Paul can do all things through Christ with strength in him. That he has joy in every season. He has joy regardless of what circumstances come his way. It is something that I wish that we would all learn, that we would all have a profound knowledge of. This joy that... that Doesn't rise and fall by the rising tide of suffering and circumstances. But it's joy that is constant and sure because of Christ. And indeed here he evidences that in a profound way. Ending the letter in a very peculiar manner as he says, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. Verse 21. The brethren which are with me greet you, and all the saints salute you chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Do you notice how he throws in there something curious? All the saints salute you chiefly, we could say, the saints that are of Caesar's house. What did we learn a couple of chapters ago? That Paul says... This is not a hindrance. Chapter 1 verse 12. These things have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. (laughs) That's the testimony of a guy who has all that he needs in Christ. That he can say. Even as he has been confined and hampered and hindered. I have Christ. And therefore I am content. I have Christ. Therefore I have enough. I speak to myself when I say I wonder if I could say that if I am locked up like some of our Canadian brother preachers, (laughs) would I be able to say that I have enough because I have Christ and that that moment is not a hindrance to the gospel. It's actually its furtherance. I pray that our hearts would be able to say that same thing. That if the chips fall where they be, (laughs) if God doesn't bless our endeavors as we might think that he would, that actually something different happens and and that we experience adversity or affliction, that we too could say with Paul, I know how to abound in all of those seasons because I've been brought low and I've been brought up and the only thing that is constant is Christ. Christ is our joy. Never-ending joy, never-changing joy, a joy that is constant. A joy that is unceasing. A joy that comes not just because we have happy circumstances, but comes because we have a Christ who gives us himself. Here Paul testifies to that. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We, I would say, can say a hearty amen to that. Let us pray.